We have a couple of guests here with us today, and I'm going to ask Michael Gibbons and to come on up. Uh, Michael is a missionary that we support, and he is working over in France, and uh, he's going to be presenting in the second hour in the Sunday school there, but we want to take a few minutes and he uh, just kind of give an update from him and how things are going, and so I'm going to turn this over to you for a few minutes, so if you may want to introduce your guests as well, so... Lucy and David to to come forward. David Pater and Lucy Chittister are also part of the Toulouse Go team. Um, our mission is Reach Global, which is the mission of the Evangelical Free Churches. And uh, we've been in Toulouse for eight years. Um, my wife Emily and, and I started out eight years ago. It was just the two of us plus our daughter Naomi. Well, Naomi got married yesterday. Uh, by Pastor Fred from the Bemidji Free Church. And so we've had a pretty exciting weekend so far, and we're happy that Lucy and David were able to come for that as well and share in that celebration. Um, And if you want to see our daughter, you'll have to come to Sunday school. I have a photo of her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we appreciated uh, just having that time with friends and family. It actually took place at Oak Hills Bible. They changed the name, right? Oak Hills Christian College in an outdoor setting, and it didn't rain, and it was warm, which is kind of unusual since we've been here in Minnesota the past week, so we are happy for that as well. Um, I want to extend my greetings from Emily as well. She wasn't able to come because she's still in Bemidji uh, with her family. She wanted to have as much time as possible with them, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting back so we can see Naomi and John Daniel off to their honeymoon later this afternoon. And by the way, John Daniel grew up in the Free Church in Bemidji, and he's a fine Christian man. Um, so uh, you have been supporting us. I don't know if you believe this or not, but this is true. For over 25 years, Emily and myself, first in Congo, then in Belgium for nine years, and now in France for almost 10 years. And so I want to thank you for your support and your prayers over the years, and uh, we look forward to continuing our partnership. Now, there's a too, way too much for me to share about our team and our ministry now. It's just too much. But I want to give David and, and Lucy a chance to talk a little bit about their role on our team in ministry. But before I do, I hand over the mic to them. I need to give you a little bit of a context. Our, our team consists of four projects, four active projects, a church plant, a cultural association, Chinese student ministry, and uh, I'm missing one. Oh, the discipleship development program for interns, which might be of interest to some of you young people out there. If you're 19 or older, was it 19, Lucy, or 20? 19, okay. Um, and we hope to restart our Muslim ministry um, outreach, uh, hopefully with a Latin American couple or two that may be coming in the future. And so those are our ministries. Our team is international. Um, when everybody is finally on the ground for the upcoming ministry year, I figured this out the other day, that we'll be 15 or 16, including interns from the U.S. and Germany. And of those 15 or 16, they come from eight different countries. So you can see a bit of the, the uh, international diversity and cultural diversity of our team, which actually is really helpful in a city like Toulouse, which is very cosmopolitan and very diverse. And we can reflect the diversity of and the unity of the body of Christ in a situation like that. So Lucy's been working on the ground in Toulouse already for two and a half years. She's decided to go long-term, and she needs to raise a little extra support. I won't keep that a secret for her to be able to come back. And I think your flight's already scheduled, right? So we've got to do this by mid-September. David just finished an MDiv at, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. 
And he did an internship with us two summers ago, right? And so we're excited to have him back. And I want to say both of these um, young adults, they're millennials. And there's a lot of things said about millennials, you know, not always so good, like lack of long-term commitment. Well, I want to tell you, these two young people, young people, young adults, sorry, they are committed, both of them, to serve the Lord long-term in France. And so I'm really uh, encouraged and excited about them. So I'll, without any further jabber from me, I'm going to pass it to Lucy and then David. Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, as Michael said, I've been working in Toulouse for the last two and a half years um, after graduating from Iowa State University. I grew up in Ames, Iowa, and have been serving for the last year and a half about as our team administrator. And going back, we'll also be kind of heading up the coordination of our discipleship training program. And that's really exciting. I hope that you guys come to the Sunday School Hour. Um, there are opportunities for um, students and young adults to come for between three and 12 months to learn some language, um, just be immersed in the culture of um, the city and our team in Toulouse, and really learn about uh, a lot about what it means to live our faith intentionally. Um, and so come back to wherever they're coming from, uh, really with a vision to reach the people around them. Good morning as well. Uh, my name is David Pater. I was originally born and raised near Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to the University of Georgia and studied religion, and it was there that God kind of called me to church ministry and really got excited about church planting as well. And before I moved up to Chicago to start seminary, I made apparently a decision that's going to affect my whole life. I took like a six-week-long trip to France to, do, to share the gospel just because I wanted to get out of the books for a while. And it was the need there that has radically shaped the rest of my life, I believe. And God has really burdened me for this country of about 1% evangelical Christians. And just there's a lot of younger people who are really wanting to talk as well. And that was what blew me away. Because you hear about the secular nature of Europe and how they're very godless. But the younger people, 30 and younger, I would say, are very open to talk and to hear the gospel. And that trip just really encouraged me, and it was something that God used to burden me. So I've been in Chicago studying uh, Greek and Hebrew and other stuff, and finally <laughs> finished that, and I'm headed towards uh, working with Toulouse. And this team here, their Project One, which is like the church plant um, aspect, just really appeals to me, that burden that God's placed on me to do church ministry, and now also in addition to France is what I'll be serving with. So doing evangelism and hoping to work on preaching and stuff in French as well. So thank you. All right. Thanks, David and Lucy. Um, I want to share a verse, just a, a moment. David mentioned France and secular Western Europe, and it is true. It's a, a tough mission field in a way, and yet God really is at work and especially among the younger generation. And recently, the National Association of Evangelicals of France did a study and found that there's one church being planted in France every week. And so things are happening, especially among those who are 35 and younger, uh, very open to dialogue. But we're much more than about counting heads, counting conversions, and planting churches. What we really want to see is, is transformation. And that was the theme of our recent conference in Slovenia for Reach Global Europe transformation. I want to just share a verse. This is going to be in French. I want to have you hear the language of heaven. And then, <laughs> and then David will, will translate or read it out of his English Bible. It's from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Je vous encourage donc, frères et sœurs, par les compassions de Dieu, à offrir votre corps 
comme un sacrifice vivant, sain, agréable à Dieu. Ce sera de votre part un culte raisonnable. Ne vous conformez pas au monde actuel, mais soyez transformés par le renouvellement de l'intelligence afin de discerner quelle est la volonté de Dieu, ce qui est bon, agréable et parfait. Romans 12, 1-2 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that is what Reach Global is about. That is what our team is about in Toulouse. And that is what the three of us are about, striving to see God change lives and transform lives. And that's our investment in, in his kingdom. Thanks for your prayers, and we look forward to dialoguing with you later. We would encourage you to uh, consider hearing and uh, opportunity to hear how God is working, and we need to take advantage of those uh, opportunities. Let's pray as we jump in here. Father, I, I want to give this these few moments to you, and uh, Lord, would you change us? Would you transform us from the inside out? And, and so we want your spirit to reign in us, and may we... Come away from today, moving toward you. May we love you just a little bit more today than yesterday. So we, we thank you for your word. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Today is the close of, of a wonderful letter for us. We've been walking through this First Thessalonians for a, a number of months. And the theme is how we approached it is that it, this church gives us an example how we can live in the world where a world seems to be moving toward more and more antagonism toward Christ and toward the church. So it, it gives us a framework of how we are to live our lives in front of people that, that are all around us in this day and age. And I think the challenge for us at times, though, is this. We see the change of the moral climate of our country, and I think subtly sometimes the mission of the church begins to change. And the mission adopted just unconsciously is basically this. We need to change the morals of the culture. But understand this. If Paul, when, with everything going on around Paul, that wasn't his mission to change the morals of the culture. His mission was to make disciples. That was his purpose. So we want to become a church that's deeply committed to discipleship. And this phrase we've been tossing around for a long time is we want to become disciples who disciple. And we want to become a church that's known for our love for God. And folks, I think when those things begin to happen in our lives, I think there's a response to God that will always occur. And we begin to worship God, and God becomes more important, and the Holy Spirit begins to work, and we begin to put away selfishness, and we move toward asking the question, how do we impact people around us? 
and the kingdom grows, and, and God's name gets lifted up. But I want to begin with a little bit of a story here. Dan and I, over the years, have had the opportunity to work with college and young career for a, a long time. It's probably been 15, 18 years that we worked in college ministries. And the first group we had was in Vancouver, Washington in the early 80s. And we would meet every Sunday night. And we gathered these, it'd be anywhere from about 20 to 40 or so. They would come together in this house or church. And and we did what was called the RAP session. R-A-P, reevaluating all possibilities. And and the time went like this. They would come and they'd go, what do we want to talk about tonight? That's how we started tonight. And they would throw out an idea. It could be friendships, dating, abortion, you name it. There was all kinds of things. And what we did then is, is take the scriptures and go, okay, how does the scriptures, what does God say about this particular topic? Well, over the years, you, you would see that by doing this, it would be these topics, same topics would come up over and over again in that age group. And one of the topics that would come over all the time, almost every year, was the idea, how do you know God's will for your life? And, and, And matter of fact, on one occasion... We actually invited a professor. There was a seminary and, and Bible college across the river from us, and this, this uh, uh, professor came over. His name was Gary Friesen. And at the time, it was really cool for us because he had just gotten, he had gotten done writing a book. It was called Decision Making and the Will of God. It was about a 400-page book where he went through almost every scripture in the Bible surrounding the will of God and, and kind of dissected it. Great book. If you want to read it, I'll borrow you it as well. I have it on my bookshelf. But in context of that and that issue, I got some really good news for you today. I really do. I had a dream last night, and God revealed to me God's will for your life. Really? I don't think you believe me, though, do you? I know God's will for you today. Matter of fact, it's point 11 in this series. Here it is. Live out the will of God. Rejoice. Develop a heart of prayer. And live a life of thankfulness. There it is. That is God's will for our lives for today. Aren't you excited? Yeah. Can you rejoice actually a little, little bit about it? So, but let me put up the three verses, first three verses for today. we got more than that. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Two words in that verse. Three, three words. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't know if there's three more relevant verses to our lives than these three short verses. And if we're going to become disciples who disciple, these are not just suggestions. Matter of fact, when he writes, this is the will of God, these are important and need to be permeating our lives. They're not just a nice idea. They're not optional. But let me just kind of walk through today some of the reminders even concerning a couple of these, concerning these verses. Letter A, if you're taking notes and for the bulletin outline, I said it this way. 
Remember that an attitude of rejoicing has nothing to do with our circumstances. Rejoice. People keep thinking that rejoicing or joy, the root word there, rejoicing is determined by our circumstances. And that is a lie. Matter of fact, earlier in in chapter 1, let me put this on the screen. You'll see why he continues to push them. Verse 1-6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word, and look at the circumstances in their lives, in much affliction. They're going through turmoil. People hate Christians even back then. It was going to get worse for them. But you do it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, rejoicing joy joy comes, where does it come from? I think it's this. It's believing that God is good and that he's in control. That he's in, in control of every circumstance. And I think the Holy Spirit continues to try to whisper to us, God's in control. God's good. He loves you. And and we need to embrace and believe and remember, if we're going to rejoice, we have to remember that God really cares for us, no matter what circumstance that we're going through. But there's another issue here as well. Letter B, I said it this way. We need to pursue and develop a relational faith with God. This idea, pray without ceasing. When, When you hear those words, what do you think? What runs through your mind? See, I think the challenge is the default setting. When we hear that, we, we, right away we go to requests. Okay, God, I need you to get me out of the right, wrong circumstances here. Keep me out of trouble. Please take my pain away so I can be joyful. See, pray without ceasing, I would argue, is, is much more than just God being a genie and on call for us. That he's going to get us out of every circumstance. Now, this is about communion and a relationship the way we relate to God. This is about the Holy Spirit that's been put within us so we can practice the presence of God at every moment. When anything comes along, when we're driving in the car, When we're walking, taking a walk, do we talk to God and allow his word and for him to to talk back to us and have that communion on a regular, ongoing basis? Talk to God without ceasing. The challenge, though, we have to spend time with him. And, and, okay, over the years, for whatever reason, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And I think this is true of a marriage. That if you're moving toward a greater love with your spouse, you want to spend more time with them. See, but that's also true of God. As we grow in our love for God, we want to spend more time with him. One of my friends uh, challenges me over and over. He he takes dates with God. And and he goes and just spends hours communing with God. Can we do that? 
But there's a third piece here. Let her see. I, I said it this way. We need to grow in our awareness of what God is doing. And the challenge is, well, the challenge is this. I have some water up here. When you think of it, is this half full or half empty? Now, some of you are going, I'm a realist, and it's only half. You're on the half-empty side, okay? You're just trying to get out of it, okay? But see, the, the challenge is some of us keep thinking that we're, we're critical, we're sour. And I go, how do you be thankful with that kind of attitude? And the challenge for us is to put a different set of glasses on and look and go, what is God doing in our life, in other people's lives? Matter of fact, I think some of you, everyone here needs to go into the room next door, into the youth room, and hear what God is doing in France. See, we need to look around and ask the question, what is God doing? There's a study by Blackaby Experiencing God that says, look around and see where, what God is doing, and then join him. Join his work. But we have to do that intentionally. But it forces us to stop. Joy, rejoicing, pray without ceasing. Look around and ask God. Uh, it was interesting this week for me. I had to, this was really penetrating my heart. It was a hard week for me. Uh, yesterday, I had to do a funeral of a gentleman from my former church, a close friend. Um, matter of fact, when I was on staff there for so many years, he was my most consistent encourager. He'd take me out for coffee and look across the table and go, Ken, how are you doing? And he meant it. Okay, but Dave died at age 61 from Alzheimer's. Eight years ago, his wife, Chris, recognized something, and through the years, in the last three years, he was in a memory facility in Staples. And it was this week that just some emotion that was coming to me, and it was a realization, okay, give thanks, pray without ceasing, talk to God, and even rejoice. And as I spoke yesterday at the funeral, caves with Jesus. He's, the cave is gone. The Alzheimer's is done. He's with Jesus. And you give thanks. Those three are so practical. But look at, look, keep going here. Verse 19. Look at, look at how it reads. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. You notice these short bursts of the, at the end of the letter, they're just so practical. But let me, as, we, as I look at the summary of those three verses, here's how I described it for our application. I think number 12, it's this, we need to stop hindering God. I think it's the summary of these three. Now you say, can we hinder God? Well, look at the passage. See, understand that the Father, as we came to Christ, He put the Spirit in us. That Spirit that makes us a child of God. 
But it says there in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Maybe to say it really blunt, it's don't throw a wet blanket over the Holy Spirit. That's really the summary of it. Now, I do it just a kind of a side note. When some people read these three verses, they tend to want to link them to the whole issue of tongues and prophets and sign gifts. And even some of the commentaries go there and they link it to, to a Corinthian church. But I don't think that's Paul's intent here. If it would have been issue of misuse of gifts and prophecy and all those things, he would have written more. That would have been Paul's nature. He would have helped them figure that out. And the other piece there, when people link it to the Corinthians church, Corinthians church hadn't started yet here when he wrote that. But these short exhortations, he speaks to them without commentary, so we're careful that we don't go farther, but there's some function that we can quench the Spirit. And you go, what is that? Well, think of just a couple of roles of the Holy Spirit. One of them is that the Holy Spirit unites us in Christ. We are now children of God. We're born again. We're a part of his family because the Holy Spirit is within us. But there's another role of the Holy Spirit as well, is that when a believer begins to yield their life to God, when they begin to abide, John 15, abide with him. When those things begin to, met, to, to happen, the believer begins to walk and the Spirit begins to work in conjunction of our lives. And all of a sudden, power comes and strength comes, and, and maybe to say it a little bit different, the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit in our lives. There's fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, thankfulness, things that make a difference as we live in front of a world. And the challenge is when, for you that grow fruit, how big is the fruit? How much fruit is on the tree? See, I'm convinced that we can quench the Spirit so our fruit is almost non-existent, or we can begin to walk with the Spirit and go, all of a sudden, it overflows in our lives. Dave, the gentleman that I had the, um, did the funeral yesterday, fruit was evident. There was men, they did a kind of a picture testimony thing, and man after man would walk up with a little cardboard sign and go, this is what Dave meant to me. He impacted people profoundly. But the question goes back, what quenches the Spirit? keeps the Spirit from producing fruit in our lives. And I think some people want to make it really simple and say, you just got to obey. And I go, ah, it, it's a little bit more than that. Let me give you an issue that I think is kind of the core issue of why we don't have the fruit in our lives. Let me put up on the screen James chapter 4. Look at how it reads here. You ask and do not receive 
because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, I don't think quenching the Spirit is just about the lack of obedience to a set of rules. Here's the issue. And I've said this a number of times. The issue is to where and to what are we giving our love. It's a battle of the affections. Quenching the Spirit is about giving our love to stuff and to things, and even at times to people, and we shouldn't be giving it. Do you realize that the Spirit longs for, from us, and invites us to know and experience the love of God? And He invites us to turn and say this, can give your love to God. And we keep giving our love to the world to other things. And do you notice one thing in this text? He uses a very hard word. Adulterers. You spiritual adulterers. What's adultery? I've had to work with it a number of times. It's giving your love to the wrong person. And that's what it is for God for us. When we give our love to things and understand, they, they can almost become an idol in our lives. An idol is just, you worship the wrong thing. We give our love to that thing. Or that whatever. You think of some of the things that actually we can give our love and then not give our love to Jesus. It could be money. It can be power. We can love our children more than we love God. We can love families. I ministry? You adulterous people, you're giving your love to something else other than me. But do you catch that in verse 5? Look at verse 5 again. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he, meaning God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Because we have the spirit within us, when we give our love to other things, it says that God is actually jealous. That is what keeps us and what quenches the Holy Spirit. Do we want spiritual fruit? Do we want to stop hindering God? Bottom line, we need to pursue a love relationship with Jesus, with the Father. And when that takes place, folks, priorities change. Things happen in our lives. Fruit, all of a sudden, God uses us significantly as well. And we don't quench the Spirit. But there's some more here. Look at verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Many people hear these words and the prophecies and, and they think, okay, right away they jump out and go, well, is there prophets today? 
I'm not going to answer the question, but you notice that Paul didn't use the word prophets, it was prophecies. And, and the, I think it's this, we need to learn to live in the truth. We need to allow truth to permeate our lives. The truth through the word, uh, even through other people at times. See, these words that have been spoken by the prophets, yes, are we to test them? Yes. We go back to Scripture, it becomes the authority of go, does it fit with this? Does it line up? But then it uses that phrase, grip to them tightly. What is biblical and what is sound? And we know this, I think, living in the United States, that there's a challenge in the churches and of the issue of, are we going to hold on to that which is true? The, the culture wants to erode and impact the church and say, ah, forget about the authority of Scripture. Do we really realize just how the erosion of biblical truth goes? All you have to do is ask the same question that Satan asked Eve. Did God really say that? Is it true? Well, maybe there's a new truth that, that trumps that. But the challenge is, folks, do we spend enough time with God hearing him even through the scriptures? Are we feeding on other truth that is pushing us to know God? And folks, if our intake of truth is only Sunday morning, it's not enough. If I only spent one hour with my wife a week, how do I know her? What's going on in her life? Do we spend enough time to really know what God's heart is? That college ministry, the goal of rap, was, get, was connecting the scriptures with how they th- would, would think. Getting them to think biblically. And, and the goal of this book is not just behavior, but it's to know God and what he desires. Now, I, I do got to point out one thing here that I caught studying this week. In verse 22, where you catch abstain from, uh, or I mean, abstain from every form of evil. When I was growing up, I grew up in an evangelical free church, and this verse was used a lot. And I don't know if you remember the King James version of this verse. Let me read it to you. I don't, I don't think I have it on the screen. It says this, abstain from every appearance of evil. I've heard adults quote that often. It's the King James Version. The problem is appearance isn't there in the original languages. It's abstain from evil. So, so growing up, the, the challenge was we couldn't go to movie theater because what? It was the appearance of evil. And then finally Billy Graham put a movie out. The church didn't know what to do because <laughs> it appeared evil. to keep from doing what God wants, you avoid evil. We stop it. But let me jump to the last verses just to end here. Verse 23. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss and put you, uh, I'll put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Folks, that last statement, Paul is going... God is in control. He is faithful. He's going to work. He will protect you. He will work with you as you live in that culture. And that is so true for us today. Do we remember that God is faithful? That He wants to work in our lives. And as we give our love to Him, He changes us from the inside out. And we become people, we become disciples who want to exclaim to the world that Jesus is real and that you need a relationship with Him. Is this book relevant for our church? I go, absolutely. I encourage you just to go back and read through it sometime and just think through, just for review. We're not going to move on to a new issue next week, but... I just encourage you to dig in. Fall in love with God through the scriptures. Make him your own. Don't quench the spirit. Live a life of joy. Rejoice. Be thankful. Let's stop and pray. In fact, why don't you just stand with me? Father, we uh, I thank you for this book, this letter that you wrote to that that Paul wrote to this church. And Lord, it's such a good picture and a reminder for us that you want to use us in this world. You want us to make a difference in people's lives. So Lord, I just pray specifically for the text today. Lord, I would pray that we would not, as a church, quench the spirit here that we would be listening to you, that we would be falling in love with you, and that our attitudes would be one of joy and thankfulness. Lord, that we would be lovers of you. So Lord, work in us, move us, change us, reveal to us those parts of our lives that we need to let go, to abstain from evil. And so we just give this day to you, and may you work. These things we pray in your name. Amen. I was going to say greet each other with a holy kiss, but we won't do that this morning. How about a handshake? If you don't know somebody around, say hi to them and have a great week.